Welcome to the Storehouse Podcast, a family of people dedicated to being the hands and feet of Christ, serving to Lord the earth know him. Find us on social media at the Storehouse NG and hit that subscribe button so you can get these sermons every week. Stuck out to me the other day. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I, I think God wants to talk about his glory. Um, and not just talk about it, but I think we are all going to, we have already been experiencing it, but greater measures of his glory as a house, I believe we are about to experience in Jesus' name. So, a bunch of definitions. Um, glory has to do with light. Um, it is shining, often striking, bedazzling light, like Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. That was the glory. Um, glory is also heavy. I know once we asked what glory is and someone said weight. Um, so glory is heavy. It is something that has weight. That's why Isaiah fell under the weight of the Lord's glory in Isaiah 6. Glory oftentimes is visible. It is something you can see. It is meant to be seen. When the glory of the Lord appears, it is meant to be seen. Um, glory is sacred and must be treated with honor and respect, which explains why the fullness of his glory would kill people in the past. It is not cheap. Um, if it was, wouldn't Jesus have told everybody to come on the mountain of transfiguration to see him? It's not cheap. It's sacred and must be treated with honor and respect. What this also means is that how we enter into the house of God matters. I know we haven't said this in a while, but we come too late in this church. Can we change? There's no traffic on the roads anymore. We have buses running. What's the excuse? The sound team, we get here before nine. Sunday in, Sunday out. You can do it. 11 o'clock is not too early. And then people who work, who are serving in church, why do you not come at 10 anymore? It's not good enough. Not for me. I mean, I like seeing your faces on time, but let's try. Let's do better. Are we all going to do better? Yes? Awesome. So yes, glory is sacred, must be treated with honor and respect. Glory is beautiful. Also the transfiguration, the disciples were in awe of the beauty of Jesus. Glory is also something that transforms and it heals. It causes miracles to happen in the presence of ordinary men. Glory also is a form of safety. That's why people would hide in the glory of the Lord. The glory of God refers first and foremost to the sheer weight of the reality of his presence. That's why sometimes you see people, no one touches them, nothing happens, they just whoosh, and they're on the floor. You know, some people call it power, but it's glory. Um, theologian Maurice, sorry I didn't write his last name, but um, he says, but so I won't mislead you. Let me add that glory is more than a visible manifestation. Glory is more than a visible manifestation. 
glory may, may or may not manifest visibly. That means that even if there isn't a glory cloud, cloud by day, fire by night in this place, the glory of God can still be here. Which is why I guess sometimes we miss him. Glory does not always have to be seen, but can be intangible. Why? Because God is spirit. Which is why people would be in rooms like this and the glory would pass them by if their hearts were not on fire. Which is why, you know, they cried when Jesus was with them and they didn't know. What did they say? Were our hearts not burning within us? while he was talking to us on the road and opening the scriptures to us. So it is possible just for the, dis the disciples, they actually were with Jesus. So. so the fact that he came and they could not recognize him shows that you, you can't miss God when he's right here. Don Moen once said that, you know, do we even know the footsteps of the Lord? If he enters a place, can you be like, yep, that's God. So Moses requested of God in Exodus 33, 18. Now show me your glory. In his response, God equates his glory with all my goodness. But God said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So God hid Moses in the cleft in a rock to protect him from the fullness of God's glory as it passed by. That means glory is powerful. Again, why it killed men in the past. It is impossible to see the glory of God and not be. God is in a place and we are not to some degree moved by it. We should be worried. Because that might be a sign of where our hearts are. The glory of God puts the pride of man to shame. Isaiah had been prophesying all this time. We always talk about Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Yet, the moment the glory of the Lord came, he was like, woe is me. He was laying down before the Lord, acknowledging his lack Glory makes the lofty man humble. So I sometimes you'll see us kneeling down, not because it's comfortable, but like there are times where we've been here, I don't know if any of the sound team can relate, where you feel like if you don't get down, you might fall. <laughs> I almost tripped over myself earlier today. That's, that is the power of his glory. Isaiah 2, 10 to 11 says, The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. In the New Testament, the glory of God is revealed in who? Jesus, the Son. I think the play of the Son of God and the Son is so amazing. Like, the Son and the Son. Because he is radiant. In Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So now in the New Testament, we are able to see the glory of God because we have Jesus. And also, it also says that you see the glory of God every time you read the word of God. 
Why? Because scripture says the entrance of your word brings what? Light. That light is glory. So Jesus is the glory of God because anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. Invisible manifestation of God himself and the second person of the Trinity. The New Testament is funny because it shows that the glory of God went from dwelling in tents to now dwelling in very ordinary men. Very ordinary men. There was once I was in Guiding Light Assembly and we had an event there. And afterwards, after the event was over, I think midway through the event, like I just sat down. And then after the event was over, everybody left, but I couldn't move. My feet, it was almost like my feet was glued to the floor. And every time I would attempt to get up, God would be like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't want to mess with this. <laughs> Once I had a friend that God had to be carried on an emergency bed out of a church. She couldn't move. So the cleaner came into the church. I was there for like an hour. The cleaner came into the church. I was like, ma, are you okay? Everybody has gone. I said, I'm fine. I just can't move. She was just like, what? Like, and she walked away. So she came in to clean because she thought everyone had gone, but I was just sitting there. And then God sent somebody to come back to church to get something he left. If not for that person, I don't think I would have moved that day. And it was a Saturday, so GLA would have had church on a Sunday. I'm sure they would have met me there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ini came back and he was like, ah, Maz, what's going on? I just said, Ini, please pray for me. I can't move. It was now like 8 p.m. My sister was texting me. I was like, I'm coming, I'm coming. I didn't really know when I would leave there. Once he prayed, you know, he prayed that the weight of God's glory that was resting on me would allow me to drive home. <laughs> and in God's kindness, he did. Amen. The other day, I looked outside the window and I began to sing whilst we were breaking our fast, just singing to the Lord new songs of gratitude. Um, but I, I felt God and all of heaven was just alert, waiting for what was going to come out of my mouth. Um, and I think that that's what's happening in this fast is that God is waiting for our response to his presence because he's going to give us the fullness of his presence but you decide what you do to it do you either run from it or do you dwell and make that place your habitation amen we've been praying during the fast Ephesians 1 18 to 21 it says the eyes of our understanding be enlightened some versions say be flooded with light that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in we, the saints. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That means there is light that enables you to comprehend light. There is light in the eyes of your understanding that enables you to comprehend the riches of his glory. That's why we've been praying this scripture, so we can see God in everything. 
that light that we are trying to be enlightened by his glory so we can experience the riches of his glory so how do we glorify god we'll, we'll do this first um we are to manifest his presence to others not to selfishly seek what we want um not to glorify ourselves but simply and profoundly make our faith in god known and visible so though glory might be invisible we are to make it visible we are to make it visible that's why we are called the workmanship of god we are to make his glory visible and i've always thought that without the evidence of power there was no glory and i'm gonna explain that you know the other day during when we were breaking i found myself praying for power are we good the other day when we were breaking our fast i found myself praying for power and i went to acts 1 8 and it says that you shall receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and i was like god give me power god give me power and i felt god correct me and say i want you to understand glory glory is what produces the purity of power which is why the disciples had to wait for the holy spirit if they were to just experience this power that is talked about in acts 1 8 they wouldn't have known what to do with it which is why they waited he said wait waited 40 days for the holy spirit they had to wait because they had to understand that it wasn't just power they were going to experience but glory and that glory being costly meant that they had to humble themselves before the lord and wait because it was too weighty the difference between glory and power is that power is effectiveness while glory is great beauty and splendor that is so overwhelming it is considered powerful did we get that so power is effectiveness while glory is great beauty or splendor that is so overwhelming it is considered powerful so god is not saying that glory is not powerful is that there is no power without glory but you can have power we oftentimes use power and glory inter interchangeably but they do not mean the same thing for example, when Moses was asked to talk to the rock, what God wanted was for his glory to be manifested through him talking to that rock. But then Moses struck the rock and when he did, the power of God was manifested, but the glory of God wasn't, right? So instead of speaking to the rock like God asked him, he hit the rock. Did water come out of that rock? Yes. So the power of God was seen. It was on display that day, yes? But was the glory of God? No. That's why God reprehended, reprimanded Moses. He said, Moses, you didn't glorify me before the people. 
This is Numbers 20, verse 11 to 12. So though the power of God was manifested and water came out of the rock when Moses struck it, the glory of God wasn't there because Moses acted in disobedience. God wants us to manifest both his power and his glory, not one over the other. What glory does is that glory being light is that it purifies the power that comes out of you. Which is why scriptures talk about beholding the Lord. That is to see glory. If they receive that power without understanding in Acts, it may have destroyed them and they may have used power to destroy others. The glory is greater than the power because the glory includes not only the power of God, but the grace and righteousness of God. That what glory produces cannot be done in and of ourselves. So not only does glory produce power, but the grace and righteousness of God as well. The glory of God actually is the term that encapsulates all of his splendor and his righteousness. Because power can be without the righteousness of God. Are we all following? Sure. No one is confused. Good. Therefore, for those who wonder, you know, what is this? What am I seeing here? If you see power without righteousness, you should be afraid. If you see power without the purity of the gospel, you should be afraid. And why this is important, some of us are like, mm, I don't really see all of that. It's important because we are in the last days. And this will keep happening. You will keep seeing people who have power. The glory of God is absent. And we need to be able to discern where God is and what looks like where God is. Not just in discerning it in other people, but even in ourselves. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 9.18, the Apostle Paul talked about not wanting to abuse the power in the gospel. He's referring to, the authority, um, to his authority in the gospel, which was backed by the power of God. He says this, what is my reward then? This is 1 Corinthians 9, 18. Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. That means power can be abused. Anybody who has Christ living on the insides of them has the ability to do signs and wonders. Has anybody watched them, Prophet, suddenly on YouTube? <laughs> Nobody. Who has? If you watch Prophet suddenly, that's what's up. My Mount Zion people. That's a, that's a good movie. You should watch it. It will put the fear of the Lord in you. Because that man was manifesting in the power of God. Power. Power. He was manifesting in power. He was. He was. Do you disagree? He was manifesting in power. That was a Christian manifesting in power. Where he got that power, everybody who saw him, saw him manifesting in the power of God. 
Yet, the glory of God was not there. Which is why he kept being tormented by that woman or that spirit. It is therefore possible for someone to misuse the power of God, but you can never misuse the glory of God because you will die. That's where the difference is. And God always wants us to walk in his glory. I think as the body of Christ, the enemy has succeeded in deceiving us. I've heard so many people go to churches and say there's no power here. There's, they've said there's no power here. I need to go somewhere where there's power. Because maybe people are not shaking and slithering on the floor like lizards with demons. Then we don't think there's power. But power in its purest form is birthed through glory alone. Power makes what is in the spirit evidence to the flesh. But glory cannot be accessed or experienced in the flesh. Which is why again we pray that our eye, the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Because you cannot experience the glory of God in the flesh. God's glory is exclusive to him and his people. Which is why the things of God are foolishness to those who are not in the fold. It's foolishness. But power can be seen. If there, is a, if there is a dead person here and I pray for this person to come to life, the power of God is going to be seen by whoever does not believe, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever it is. Yes? Everybody will witness it. But glory is exclusive to we who know Jesus. Which is why we need to pray for people to know him. So they can experience the glory of God. Because glory is sacred and it's weighty. And if God just, anybody, come and know. Glory is Jesus. The glory of God is demonstrated in Christ. So if you don't know Christ, you can see the power of Christ. You can applaud it. But that glory, you, you, you won't see it. We have constantly stayed looking for power and it has led us to undermine glory. Because oftentimes, glory requires you to go to places you never intended to go. When we say things that, like, let the weight of your glory rest on me, I, I, I wish we understood what we were saying. I, sometimes I wish I didn't even sing things like that, but here we are. Glory is heavy and it requires deep realms of consecration, which is why we are in this fast to experience more of him. And what we are seeing in experiencing more of him is that we want to experience more of your what? Glory. Glory is captivating and it stops us from getting complacent and keeps the fire of our hearts lit. The whole Bible will show you that nobody ever saw the glory of God and remained the same. Amen. So how do we respond to glory? How should we respond to glory? How should we respond to glory? How did the 24 elders respond to glory? Nobody? Hmm? Worship. Yeah. You cast down your crowns before him that is your response and what your crown is is whatever title whoever you think you are you have to lay it down 
before him and recognize him as the mighty one. God's glory, majesty, and his power should lead us to praise him as the angels in heaven continually praise him, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is Revelations 1-7. But how do many of us respond to it? With indifference. That's how a lot of us, that's how I have oftentimes responded to the glory of God. Well, you come here so often, we think that what we experience here Sunday in, Sunday out is normal. It's not normal. It is a privilege that we get to experience heaven on earth, the glory of God, be it through worship, be it through even our interactions with people who are the light of God. Be it through the word. But a lot of us respond to it with indifference. You see, if God wants to show forth his glory, how will he do it? He won't put it in a cloud and, a, and some fire. I mean, he might still, but we as his workmanship, created in his image, he wants his glory to be demonstrated through us. In other words, we are the image bearers of God. What this means is that though we cannot display his, his nature, our omnipresent, none of us are omniscient, none of us are omnipotent, we can display his character. Now, what is the character of God? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The fruits of the Spirit, we can demonstrate them all to one another and to the world. His character is manifested in his best creation, we. The glory of God is on display in our lives, which should cause us to walk in deep humility, knowing that God has chosen to shine through us. What is the effect of a church that is not aware of? of his glory what do you think happens when the entire body of christ maybe the fingers are not aware of his glory the toes are not aware of his glory what is the effect hmm? ineffectiveness yes that's correct i i put here cold hearts and a lack of purity i look into people's eyes sometimes here and um, around other churches and spaces. And I'm, I'm not expecting you to cry, right? It's not by crying and kneeling down and shouting and rolling on the floor for me to know that you are experiencing the glory of God. So I'm not asking anybody to start demonstrating. Because you can do all of that, but your heart is still far from him. Yeah? Your eyes are not burning. That's, that's what's missing. Your heart is not burning. Yeah, sometimes it might be sin. People are carrying sin or shame or these things. Yes, they are obstacles to us seeing him. But sometimes, you know, I, it's, that's not it. It's just that we don't understand glory and we don't know how to respond to it. And sometimes this thing is just 
getting into the word of God to see how men responded will help you to respond to the glory of God. Once I ministered in a place and I, I was like singing, worshiping rather, and I was looking into the eyes of people. And I asked God, why, why is this place so cold? And he said, a lot of the people here don't know me. But they were experiencing power. They were. Power. They were experiencing power in that place. But he said, a lot of them don't know me. The glory of his presence was barely there. So if you come... And you want to see the glory of his presence there. What it will require is that a lot of change has to happen. There will, be, there will have to be transformation. So that thirst for power will match off the desire for glory that is within you. And there will be a bit of a battle. This is what Paul describes in Hebrews 6 as becoming spiritually dull and indifferent. He says this in Hebrews 6, 11 to 12, that our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance. You see, before a falling away, you know, yes, there's a great falling away, but I, I, I don't think as believers we should be so concerned about that. Yes, it should cause us to want to preach the gospel more, but know that the church, the body of Christ is going to be okay and is advancing. You may not see it here or around you, but if you look at the church in Iran, that is the fastest growing church right now, men and women giving their lives for the gospel. So before a falling away takes place in our actions, it begins in our hearts, begins in our souls, when we start looking for solutions outside of Jesus, asking for the opinions of men outside of looking for what God has to say on a matter. It's when we become fearful and consumed by the world, all of which takes place in the heart. That's why the Bible says, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus' concern was always the heart. Even Samuel was told, do not look at the outside appearance. Man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. And why this should, should even stare us more, those of us who have decided to come here today, is because you can be here, but your heart has turned cold towards God. What that manifests as is things like cynicism. When people talk, you just roll your eyes. Or you sit here and worship is going and you're thinking about all the different things. It's a slow drip. It's a slow drip. And one day you decide, I don't want to come to church anymore. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. But it happens just slowly. So before a falling away takes place in your actions, it will begin in your heart. The glory of God can pass you by. Many people come in Sunday out, Sunday in, Sunday out, and, you know, you're wondering why, 
why do people have this relationship with God and I just don't feel it? So the past few months, I, 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 I've, I felt the judgment of the Lord just over, you know, I guess personally, and then I would just pray for the body of Christ at large. Um, and I, I felt it firstly for our pursuit of power in the absence of glory. Um, this I only came to understand this week, preparing this, that that was maybe why my heart started to become very grieved. Um, sometimes I would say to God, where are you? Because I can't see evidence of power. I will assume that God is not here which is wrong. The glory of God keeps us. It preserves our hearts from compromise and mixture. Glory is what compels us. Becoming so captivated by what we've seen in Jesus that you don't want to move away or entertain any lesser lovers. That's what glory does, is that it keeps you. If the light of God is constantly within your eyes, you will not look anywhere else. But it's when we look away, like... Our dear disciple who was walking, seeing the glory of God. God says, walk on the water. What happened? When did he start sinking? Was when he looked away. When we look away from the beauty of the Lord, when we look away. It, it, you know this world, there are too many distractions. There are too many things contending for our attention and affection. And God wants both. So the moment we start looking, you won't know when all of a sudden, ah, this is not a bad idea. Going to this place, doing this thing, doesn't look bad anymore. Even though before you would have said, never, I would never do this. What happens? You've, you've forgotten the weight of his glory. You've forgotten the beauty of his presence. Which is why this fast is to remind us and to take us back to Eden. Not a physical Eden, but Eden meaning where we were so captivated by God. And we wanted to walk in the garden with him forever. For months I would text Peter saying, I feel the judgment of the Lord upon this nation and upon the church. And I didn't. I didn't understand what I was saying. I would just send it because sometimes you just need somebody to try and understand what God is saying to you. What God was doing was God was judging our compromise and lack of love. Not to bring some verdict um, or say, oh, now you're going to hell. No, the goal of God's judgment under the new covenant is to purify so now under Christ when the judgment of the Lord visits us we should not be afraid we will not die but it is to tell you hey there's something wrong let me fix it God's judgment for those who are in Christ is a judgment with the goal to transform and to sanctify as opposed to destroy and remove that's why the Pharisees had such a hard time understanding his judgment because it always led to forgiveness 
and mercy. So they would come and ask God to judge Jesus to judge a matter. Come and stone this woman. But instead, his judgment would lead to what? Forgiveness and mercy. So when God visits us with his judgment, he's not coming to destroy us. In fact, he's coming to build us. He's coming to love us. So when the judgment of the Lord comes, sometimes when you're in church and you, someone says something that maybe you're struggling in a party, don't get offended though. Don't get offended at this sermon. Don't get offended at the word of God. It is coming to transform you. It is coming to judge our iniquity, not to kill us. If God wanted to kill you whilst you were in the act of whatever it is, he would have killed you there. But he wants to make you like him. Because he wants to enjoy eternity. He wants to come back and have the marriage supper of the Lamb with a beautiful bride. That is his desire. And the Pharisees couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that they could no longer enforce judgment because there was a new judge. God wants to make this, as in we individually, a house of glory. And he wants to make everybody in this house, collectively, house of glory. The physical tabernacle of his presence is what he wants to make us. But we must all go on that journey. We used to say something here, no passengers allowed. If you have chosen CM. There are so many churches you can go to in Lagos. Like, honestly, so many. And they will tell you things you want to hear. All those cars, that business that you want, down to the amount of money you want, they will tell you receive it too. In fact, you will see power in ways you've never seen power before. If it's people slithering on the floor, you will see them slithering. But if you have decided to come to the storehouse, if you have decided to come here, no passengers are allowed. We must all go on this journey together. Everybody carrying the other along to say that you will meet Jesus with oil in your lamp. And we are holding one another accountable to that goal that we will all not be one of the virgins running to go and buy oil. That when the Lord comes, we are ready. And we will meet him cheerfully in excitement and jubilation. We won't say to Jesus, what took you so long? We've been waiting for you. What bride does not want to see her bridegroom? The bride that does not want to see her bridegroom is the bride that is not ready. If on your wedding day, your husband comes and says, come, I'm dressed up, let's get married. If your makeup and your hair is not done, will you go? You'll say, wait. But will there be, there be time to wait? There won't be. Which is why you must live out every day like the bridegroom is returning. No passengers allowed. No passengers allowed. Not in this house. No passengers allowed. It's if you stay here, if you choose that this is the church I want to go to. These are the people I want to dwell amongst. Can't be a passenger. We come here and we are so disengaged. You know, we, 
I'm not saying that life isn't hard, you know. Life is hard though. Which is why they had to, in order to worship him, they had to lay their crowns. They had to drop everything in order to worship him. Because glory requires attention of heart. If your heart is not attentive, because God is spirit, will you see him? Glory will not contend with our idols. The glory of God will not say, ah, please, oh, idol worship, come out of the way. Now I want to come. It's not going to do that. If you're watching, uh, binging on TV shows for 10 hours, the glory of God is not just going to meet you and say, hey, I'm ready. It's not going to happen. You will keep missing him. But you'll be crying, Savior, do not pass me by. He will keep passing you by. He will keep passing you by. Glory is to provide warmth and safety. So the glory of God keeps us safe in God. That's why they all wanted to be in the tent of meeting because they would have been safe there. Glory keeps us safe. There are people who have never felt that burn within them that causes a man to wrestle with God for a touch from heaven, like Jacob. Revelations 2 is, I believe, what is happening here and in the hearts of people. This is Revelations 2, verses 4 to 5. It says to the church, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Then he says this, consider how far you have fallen. Consider. I want us all to consider how far we have fallen. There are people here that used to be so moved by God. You would come here and you would want to exalt him. You would pray to him. You would talk to him because prayer is communication. But you haven't even noticed that your heart is cold. When you read the word of God, you just flip through. It's like a comic book. You close it after. You wonder why your heart is getting cold. But glory is warmth. If you want to be warm again in your heart, Say, God, I need your glory. Nobody can do this for you. Nobody can impart this into you. The Bible says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. You have to hunger and thirst. Nobody can hunger and thirst for you. And you know, it's so hard to hunger and thirst when you're constantly eating. You are always eating. We are always eating. Which is why we need to fast. We need to fast. You are either eating entertainment, eating social media. Why am I saying eating? Because you are digesting it and it's entering into your body. So you are eating it. You are consuming it. That process of digestion leaving residue within you. 
you are eating it, then we wonder, why don't I just want to pray? How will you want to pray when everything you are ingesting is not causing you to crave God? It's not a shock. Sometimes we say, oh, it's the spirit of laziness, the spirit of this, the spirit is no spirit. You are just consuming the wrong thing. You have gone to the wrong fountain to drink water, expecting that it will be living water. And when it poisons you, you wonder. It says, consider how far you have fallen. Consider, think about it. How did I used to burn for God? How did I feel sometimes you'd be reading the word and you feel, oh my God, even the, 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 the scripture has become prophetic to you and you say, wow, I feel God speaking to me through this. When was the last time you felt God speak to you? The Bible says, his sheep hear his voice. So you should be concerned if you are the sheep and you are not hearing his voice. Hearing his voice, I'm not saying that an audible voice from the Lord has to just come and land in your ear and all of, no. It's like you know the way to go. That whilst people are looking for clarity, because the eyes of your, uh, of your understanding have been enlightened by the glory of God, you can walk in clarity that people are searching for. People are buying books, understanding how to function in this day and age. But one word from the Lord to you changes everything brings understanding consider how far you have fallen and then it says what which is what we've been doing repent 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 is to turn is to change your mind it says repent and what does it say after it says do the things you did at first if you don't have the disciplines to do the things you did at first, don't wonder why you have fallen. You know, sometimes we want to do the things we did at first. We want to pray. We want to do all of this when there's trouble on the horizon. Back then, people will never come to church when I was in uni. But once it's exam time, everybody will be there wrestling with God. It's not, in, it's not in a battle you fight to. You fight before because my uncle always taught me one thing. He said, the devil should never make you pray. Something will happen now and I'll start responding. Ha, ha, ha. What's that? The devil should not make you pray. Daniel was not praying when they threw him and his friends though. He was praying before. So when they were there, he was ready. He knew the glory of God. He knew that the light of God would shine in the darkness of that place and take care of him. Take care of all of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That the light of God, they weren't concerned. Glory gives understanding. The weightiness of God's glory, I believe that it's weighty to show you what manner of God he is. That the heaviness is to show you what manner of God he is. 
It says, do the things you did at first. And if there are people here who are like, which things did I do at first? Do the simple things that you know to do. And if you don't know them, read the word. Biblical illiteracy is finishing us. You're fighting things that are in the word you should not be. Speak the word. Declare the word. Jesus had the word of God in him when he was being tempted. Because the enemy knew the word. And tried to use it to manipulate him. But he knew the word. Know the word. If you are illiterate in the word of God, read it. And I'm not saying that you have to read chapters and chapters and chapters every day. Mm -mm. Take your time. Read it and meditate. There are people who just read the word of God. You are to read it and meditate. You, you meditate on other things. Oh. There are people who know the lyrics of so many songs. Imagine that by Style Plus. If I ask somebody to come here now, you will sing it from beginning to end. I can do it. I can sing it too. Because I meditated and I brewed upon the word of those songs. So if you want to know the word of God, it is no different. Don't read Psalm 23 once. And all you can say is the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. What does it say after? I shall not want. You have to know the word of God. Don't be biblically illiterate and be comfortable. And if you are and you don't have people around you staring you up, come for Bible study. There's no excuse. We have everything we need to passionately pursue the Lord. Sometimes we'll be like, oh God, I just can't feel you. Read the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was who? God. Jesus is the living word. If you want to know Christ, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the word of God. So those are the things you do at first. Then pray, talk to God. Gather with people who love him. Be discipled. Be discipled. Do the things you did at first. Do you know that before Paul was allowed to go out and do anything, they taught him for a long time. I believe Paul decided within himself that I will not put the Lord to shame. God, teach me. And you know, we're in a time where we have the Holy Spirit so we can be taught of the Lord as well. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then it says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What is that lampstand? What is that light? The church as a whole, I don't think, again, is not, does not have power. They get to a point that you can function. There are people who can deliver people in their sleep. Luango said something yesterday. He said that, um, you know, he was going about life. Luango is, 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 you know, an incredible man of God. And um, he said that he was going about life fine. Nobody was noticing that his heart was cold. He was still preaching. He was still delivering people. When he would speak, people would fall under the anointing. 
but there was no glory. He had fallen out of love with Jesus. Nobody knew but him. As far as possible, I pray this prayer because is it to sing? A lot of us will be able to sing now. But glory is not just a physical thing. That's why I said it is intangible. That's where you start seeing anointing, where there's glory. You can have gifting. You can have power because the gifts of God are what? Without repentance. But is there glory? So sometimes you feel goosebumps. Beyonce makes people feel goosebumps. I've watched her in concert. You will feel goosebumps when she sings. Is there anointing? No. Is there glory? No. The church has fallen out of love with Jesus and I also think out of reverence for his word. Um, when did he stop being our satisfaction, you might ask? When did Jesus stop being enough? When did it become Jesus and something else? When did it become Jesus and something else? And I, I believed... I believe that it happened when we allowed mixture subtly. When we began to operate like businesses and institutions, forgetting we housed the glory of God. I believe that when compromise started coming in subtly, you know, I say to them all the time that anything you're carrying, I don't want you to poison anybody here. If anybody in the band, in the sound team is dealing with, with anything, you're angry. Don't come and deposit the spirit of anger on these innocent people that come to worship. But if I like your voice, what I could do is just say, mm, I know you're dealing with all of this. Just shall come and sing. Is it not just to sing? That's not what it's about. That would, that would be me saying that, mm, compromise, I don't really mind. Just come and sing. Do as you wish. We just need a good singer. We just need somebody who will pray well. When we allowed mixture in subtly, when compromise came in, when it became more important to gossip about people struggling than to pray for them, that all those little things, just how, just be seeping in, compromise. You say a lot, a lot of people here say, how has the church gotten to this? How did we get here? What has happened to the church? Oh, the church is so bad. We are the church. So every time you're pointing fingers, direct it to yourself. We got here because of all of us. And the way we can get out of this place of lovelessness a lack of passion, a lack of glory, a lack of love and reverence for the glory of God is if we all go on that journey and say we will not be passengers. You know, you can hear these things and just be like, ah, me, I don't fall into these categories. So. I pray against self-righteousness in Jesus' name. We all forget that the lust of the flesh is real. What I want to do, I don't do. Then I do what I don't want to do. 
You may not see it now, but the words of today, I pray that they linger in our hearts for days and years to come. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That means it is possible for one to have sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then that devotion becomes insincere and lacks purity.